your mission is to get rid of modules in Angular. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I am uh, pretty tired of them. So can we uh, go on record and say that you're the original scam artist? <laughs> yes. Welcome to the Angularlicious podcast. Angularlicious. Mm. And now your host, Matt Vaughn. All right. Today we're speaking with Lars Geirip Brink Nielsen. And Lars, first, I want to ask, what do what do most people uh, use as your name? Is it is it Lars Geirip or Lars Brink? I prefer Lars Brink. Uh, it's easier to pronounce, and okay. it's my given birth name. Uh, Jirup or Kyrup or however you want to pronounce it in English is uh, from my wife's family, but our kids are named uh, Jirup Brink and not Nilsson. I prefer Lars Brink, but you can call me whatever. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, we kind of met online, which is uh, pretty cool. I think the Angular community has really kind of enabled a lot of uh, people to to just meet because of common interests and uh, different uh, technical backgrounds. And I think it's uh, pretty incredible that we have uh, such a community, not only locally here, but uh, around the world. So uh, for our audience, why don't you just give us a a brief overview of uh, your background and how you got into Angular, and we'll go from there. Let's see, where to begin? So going all the way back, my interest in web started in just around 1998 or 99. Uh, I had a friend come over and he just learned this new thing in school. It was called HTML and uh, that got me hooked. (laughs) So I didn't really think of doing a career out of it, but I did end up uh, studying computer science and uh, falling in love with web again, even though native mobile apps were all the rage back in 2010. But I, I enjoyed web the most. Maybe I was biased because that was my first, the first medium I was introduced to in terms of coding something. I'm sure the technologies have changed quite a bit over the years and such. Uh, you've probably been exposed to a lot of different technologies and such. Is that uh, your experience or have you just kind of stayed uh, mainstream with uh, pure JavaScript? I don't write as many HTML tables anymore as back then. Right. <laughs> for one. Well, okay, so uh, I didn't really learn anything in particular about web in my education education so that was something i i I was picking up on my own and uh, ever since graduating from the university i have been kind of doing my own uh, self-study while working uh, full-time so and six years no i guess it's more than six years now it's soon seven years and going strong that spark, that joy, that excitement about new stuff, it's still there. So I spent most of my waking hours <laughs> thinking about writing, about working with Angular and other web technologies. Do you uh, dream about code as well? <laughs> uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes. definitely. I, I remember back when the, the, the twins were small, um, I was having these weird dreams about how to program them to stop crying and oh. <laughs> such because they were crying and I was trying to sleep and like there must be some way to I was just half awake half asleep but I, I remember it quite uh, vividly so that was fun <laughs> yeah I guess if yeah. you could figure that out uh, boy there's a lot of people that would really love that software wouldn't they yeah I I don't know I mean kids like nah, it's not like you I don't know. 
I, I don't want them to shut up. So, <laughs> but it would be nice to get a, a night's sleep every now and then. But you know, it's ups and downs. You know how it is. Exactly. I guess you still remember from many yeah. years ago. Yeah. The um, my twins, uh, they uh, it was uh, quite an experience. So um, I think. Uh, Families who have uh, twins, uh, we're kind of in a special club, and we un- we understand some of the the uh, trials and uh, the troubles and uh, how difficult it is sometimes to uh, to have twins. But they're pretty awesome. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. So uh, I understand that I, I was able to listen to your Angular story on a different podcast, and I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, you really didn't uh, get into Angular uh, until what version was it? I think mentioned uh, version 4 is that is that true well i was considering it for several times yeah uh, in my first job i was there was no angular there was only angular js back then uh, which was pretty big uh, the competi- the competition was ember and knockout at the time and i was pretty new to like uh, heavy javascript uh, single page applications were still somewhat rare back then so it was bleeding edge at least at least to a, a small company in Denmark and I ended up going with Knockout actually because they had the easiest getting started documentation and tutorials that was a big plus in my book the Angular JS documentation was just very extensive very overwhelming the tutorial was not easy to follow so that's definitely something we should keep in mind when introducing new people to to technologies that that could scare off a lot of people and it's not like Angular uh, 2.0 and and newer than that it became any easier. So, right. Uh, so, I I didn't go with Angular JS back then. I went with Knockout and Durandal. Uh, later on, I had another chance to pick uh, a web application framework, and I wanted to go with Angular uh, 2.0. But it was in the summer or early summer of 2016, and it was in a release candidate. <laughs> On one hand, it's a release candidate, so how much can change, but you probably know how that went down. So yeah, I, I was I was happy that I decided to stay with AngularJS version whatever, 1.6 or something. Yeah, I think uh, 2016 was kind of a crazy year for Angular. I remember, well, we didn't have the CLI early on, and I think late in the release candidate uh, was the introduction of uh, your favorite uh, concept, I think, is uh, modules, correct? <laughs> That's right. So they That's added right. modules in pretty late. So um, they did. So that was. And now we're stuck. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's interesting. I um, I think um, in one of your talks that you gave uh, last year, you said your mission is to get rid of modules in Angular. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I am uh, pretty tired of them. I mean, I think I know just about every in and out of uh, different ways of using Angular modules by now, and I still don't see the value. I was just looking through uh, the Vue.js documentation yesterday. It's been a long time since I visited uh, Vue, and I I actually didn't create any Vue applications, but I have been studying just getting started guides and stuff like that. And what I saw there that was interesting was that they do actually have something similar to how Angular was before 2.0, before the final one, before modules. They were just list, uh, listing component dependencies in the component itself, in the metadata. And that's that's what I want us to get back to, at least get the opportunity to do that. 
There is a proposal uh, from uh, kind of championed by Rob Warmold to get back the opportunity to uh, kind of declare your declarable dependencies uh, right in your component metadata so that if I use the material button, I will refer directly to the material button, not to some module and not in another module because that's just additional mental overhead for the developer. It's a layer of indirection and it's an unnecessary layer of indirection. So that's my take on it. Yeah. Just just looking at one of the use cases for modules here. Yeah. The compilation so, context. I, I know you've done, uh, so you're an author for in-depth.dev and uh, yeah. a lot of the articles uh, you, you publish, um, the level of detail um, and the information that you give us is, uh, I, I really enjoy reading those articles because uh, I learn a lot um, from them. But um, for the listening audience that may not understand why modules kind of made it into Angular and maybe what their initial purpose was or the intent maybe, um, could you shed some light on that and maybe uh, give us a little some more reasons uh, or some reasons why uh, we could move away from that and how that would make our lives easier? First of all, all the Angular decorators are supposed to disappear before runtime. And they do when you compile them. They are actually metadata instructions for the compiler on how to build from templates, from modules, build up the actual JavaScript instructions. Nowadays with Ivy, it's called the Ivy instruction set. Before that, we had the view engine, data structures. Before that, we had the template compiler, something like that. So it's actually for a compiler. And that's why we struggle to see how is this beneficial? That's it's just, so we have Angular modules, we have ECMAScript modules. Weren't we supposed to get used the platform <laughs> with Angular 2? That was one of the reasons for doing that major shift in, in technology. So that, that was why it was put in. And I, I don't know, I wasn't following uh, very closely back then because I, I didn't have an Angular application on, of my, my own. Uh, but I imagine that people were kind of finding it difficult to add all these instructions because you, you do need to reference uh, somehow the components, the pipes, the directives you're using. and since we're using HTML with Angular in our templates, there's no way to directly reference the component that you're using, uh, as is the case with React when using uh, JSX and, and whatnot. So that's one of the main reasons. It's for building this compilation context so that uh, Angular can match up the tags that you're using, the, the element names you're using and, and so on. Uh, in your templates uh, because just listing an element name or some attribute in your template that doesn't tell Angular exactly which component or directive you you, you are talking about uh, even though we try to, to make uh, unique selectors for our components and, and directives Angular actually doesn't know it doesn't have a global registry of every possible component in your app. So we have to link those two pieces together 
So we are actually telling the compiler how to do its job rather than it figuring it out on its own, uh. as is the case with React. So this is where we couple the template to the actual component. That's using the modules. So right. that's where we get this compilation context. Okay, so that's an interesting uh, point that you bring out, that it really wasn't uh, for the runtime, it was really for compile time. Hey everybody, wanted to let you know that during the last several months I've been working on a book entitled Angular Architecture, a guide for enterprise Angular applications. Uh, this book is very important to me because it kind of puts together all of the thoughts and ideas about Angular architecture, leveraging some of the principles and concepts that really weren't capable a few years ago. But with the, the new tools like Angular, TypeScript, uh, the design patterns that we can now apply because we have object-oriented programming uh, capabilities, we have library projects that we can share and reuse code, we can actually implement clean architecture using layered approaches and tiered design things like that so that's what this book is about so if you're interested I'd love to uh, provide this book to you at half the price 50% off all you need to do is just go to angularlicious or angularlicious.com and uh, just uh, click on the get book offer uh, button and basically uh, give me your email address and I will send you an email that includes a coupon for half off the price you can uh, purchase the book on leanpub.com and it's called Angular Architecture a guide for enterprise angular applications proud of the book and hope you enjoy it thanks so one of your uh, one of your podcasts you talk about uh, being a scam artist <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, SCAM. Um, when I saw that, I'm like, what is that? And it's an acronym. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it really kind of makes a lot of sense in, in what we're talking about. Is that correct? So, I, li I like to put labels or names on patterns if there isn't one already or there isn't a commonly agreed upon name. I will make up a new name and try to get people to use that name. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I, I do like to, because this is a pattern I did discover, but I think it's so obvious that I couldn't be the only one who dis who was using this. And uh, true enough, uh, ever since I come, came up with the name, uh, and I'll, I'll discuss in a second what it's all about, but ever since I, I coined the term of scams, uh, people have started discussing it online and saying, uh, it was Angular Material who popularized the scam mm. <laughs> concept, and I'm like, that's fine with me. Oh. <laughs> uh, even uh, Alex Rigabaugh from the Angular Core team also said, you know, I've been using this for a long time, and I really see the benefits of this, but uh, I never had a name for it, but I like the name scam. So it's becoming a thing. <laughs> it nice. is. So it's a great name. What, what is it? What is it? Well, first of all, it's just to have a little fun. We need a, a fun, some fun every now and then when developing with, with boring stuff all the time. Uh, second of all, it's just to make it memorable because it is, it, it has, uh, yeah, it has turned out to be a memorable term. So people have uh, started using it. So SCAM, it is an acronym. It, uh, it spells out a single component Angular module. 
And what is that? Well, the main there are several variants of scams, and the main one which the name is based on is you declare just one component, and uh, then you export it usually. But there are other variations. But that's the the main use case: declare one component in your module, exactly one component, export exactly that one component, and every other module you're going to import will be uh, other scams or other uh, widget modules for exactly the components directives and pipe you're using in your template. This makes it easier for us to uh, kind of manually scan through the template and see, okay, am I still using this component or I might as well get rid of that module import. That's not very easy to do when you have multiple declarations in the same module. So you're like, okay, I have to scan through 10 different templates to see if I'm actually using this module import. It is a thing that we don't even have to do if we're using the Angular CLI and ahead of time compilation. We have this wonderful thing by the CLI team called the build optimizer. The build optimizer is a pre-compilation step. It goes in, uh, inspects the templates and see whether you are actually using any exported declarable from this module. And if you, you don't, well, it tree shakes away that module. So this is a process we don't even have to do, but I just like to keep a, a tight ship, <laughs> keep things in order and be on top of my own dependencies. So it uh, helps with dependencies, but it also helps with performance because uh, it's gonna create smaller bundles, is that correct? The build optimizer will do that for you no matter if you use scams or remove dependencies you are not using. Uh, so maybe I didn't explain that clear enough. If you import, uh, for example, the matte button module from Angular Material, but you remove it from your template, but um, yet you still have the, that import of the uh, matte button module uh, in your components declaring uh, module. Uh, so even if you don't manually remove that module import of the material button module, the build optimizer will do that for you. As long as you use AOT compilation and have the build optimizer configuration option enabled, which it is by default now and have been for some time since version five or six. So it'll actually do it for you. So no, it doesn't, uh, that by itself doesn't decrease your bundle size. Uh, to me, it's more about staying in control of your uh, dependencies. There is one exception though. Uh, so where it does decrease the bundle size is not in terms of declarable uh, dependencies. And, and just to be explicit, what I call declarable dependencies are the components, the directives, the pipes. So everything that can be put in a declarable uh, array in a module uh, and that you use in your template that's what I call the declarable dependencies of your components. So the exception is that there are some things that cannot be tree shaken away. So that's uh, if you have what I call a mixed module, so a module that has both declarable dependencies exported and also provides some service or uh, indeed has some entry components declared in the view engine era. Uh, because the whole purpose of, of the entry components metadata is to say, 
this should never be removed from the bundle because uh, this is a dynamic component. It'll be rendered in a modal dialog or something, some other place where you don't mention it in a template, but you're still using it at runtime. Uh, of course, as we've seen now with Ivy released, entry components is deprecated because it's not used anymore. And we could <laughs> go into details about that, but let's just leave it at, they are not required if you use Ivy. So now every component uh, can be tree shaked. Uh, even if it's dynamically rendered, uh, it can be tree shaked away with Ivy. But in View Engine, you have to declare them as entry components and then they will never be tree shaked by, by the, uh, the build optimizer or any other optimization. So that's kind of the, the exception to the rule it will decrease your bundle sizes if, if, uh, in terms of, you will not be importing services that are you're not using. You'll not be importing modules having entry components you're not using. If you remove them yourself from the uh, module imports metadata, so there is some benefit to it, um, and especially something like Angular Material has quite a few uh, services and entry components. So back in the old days, it was considered good practice or just easy to have a single Angular Material module importing everything. Then even if you're just using the button uh, from Angular Material, you will get all the services, all the dynamically loaded components in your bundle. So that's a huge size increase. And that's where some people have suffered uh, very much in the past. So remember I said someone uh, was writing online that Angular Material was uh, popular, popularizing the, the scams. Right. Well, they did move away from having just one package, one Angular Material package, to having sub-packages with something similar, very similar to scams. Not all of them are scams because sometimes you have a few related components that you have to use together. And okay, so they will maybe export and declare more than one component. So it's not really a true scam, but still it is this useful thing of only uh, or bundling things in a tiny bundle so that you can be very specific about what you're actually using and just, instead of just saying, give me all of Angular material. So it's uh, really a great way to do code organization. So it's a, it's a great code organization technique and it has a lot of technical benefits in terms of uh, the uh, runtime and also compile time benefits, things like that. Um, so, okay. So, can we uh, go on record and say that you're the original scam artist? <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, me and uh, I don't know. I'm not sure I pronounce his name right, but Younes, who's an Ang uh, Google developer expert on Angular. Okay. He created the scam generator after reading my one of my articles. Oh, so there's so a now generator. there's a schematic to generate a scam. That's pretty sweet. Okay, so you're going to have to send me that link uh, so that, that we can yes. make sure that's in the show notes because I think everybody's going to want to be a scam artist and it's going to be a lot easier now with the schematic, for sure. Definitely makes things uh, a bit more fun. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. The funny thing here, the paradox is I want to get rid of Angular modules, but in trying to do so, I actually introduce even more Angular modules. Well, I, I think it's... Uh, to the benefit of organizing our code and being able to be tree shakeable and those benefits are, are pretty important. So that's good. 
I'll buy that. I do use them every day in my work. Um, there are other variants of scams as well. There is one for entry components. So you declare one component and you uh, put it in the entry components uh, option as well. So you don't export it because you only intend that to be used dynamically. So that's another variant of a scam. And it is indeed still a single component Angular module. It's just not exporting that component. It's only making it available for dynamic rendering. So that's one other uh, variant of the scam. Uh, and what do you call if, if, if you only declare a single pipe or a single uh, directive? And do you even want to do that? Well, yeah. <laughs> and But instead of calling it spams and stams, we still just call them scams to have uh, a common term uh, embracing all of these different variants. But I will still create one module for one pipe. I think some developers or, or teams would create some components module and just kind of use it like a junk drawer and just uh, basically put all of their shared components for an app and all their directives, all their pipes in kind of this big module. Um, so this would move that to a more organized and specialized way to basically have uh, scams for each of those uh, components, pipes and directives. Does that also fit in with uh, perhaps library projects as well and maybe being able to publish those and just uh, bring in those, uh, those modules uh, just uh, by reference in the workspace? So the downside is that you have to be explicit about what you want to take in. The upside is smaller bundle sizes, uh, like we discussed. So yeah, it is definitely fit for libraries. And as we discussed, Angular Material has something very similar to Scams by now. One of the things uh, you mentioned in your model view presenter talk was uh, talked about separation of concerns. And uh, one of the things you mentioned was uh, being very reactive, I guess, unidirectional with your data. And uh, I know you started a new job a few months ago. So um, how was it bringing in these architectural patterns and uh, think new things and um, that Angular is doing, these best practices? How was it uh, introducing that to your new team and, and uh, being able to implement those uh, in your new position? I now work at a software consultancy. I'm working with a kind of a big, uh, pretty big corporation that's trying to migrate from WinForms to Angular version 9. So that's a pretty big jump in itself. <laughs> also, uh, for the journey, we're also bringing Azure and .NET Core uh, microservice-based architecture, Angular for the front end, and so on. So we are still developing uh, what we define as the platform that the business developers are going to add their features onto. And it's not the first time I've done this, but um, so, so I have yet to see how they are going to welcome these patterns. I do work with one experienced Angular developer and he uh, he can see the benefits of, of some of the things I propose. I don't take everything I write about and apply it to a job, but I did bring along, for example, the model view presenter patterns and the scams, um, because it's it's useful to have these patterns defined and, and use them uh, in a similar way 
across the code base when you have many teams working on the same code base. We do use uh, a monorepo uh, across several teams. So that's how we're going to uh, develop these apps. There will be multiple apps, but each one of them will be in the same monorepo. There will be feature teams. Uh, we are using the NX uh, tooling for the monorepo by Nawal. And that's, I think that's going to be a big uh, win because one of the things the client wanted uh, to be different in this system when compared to their existing one is how can we have all these teams working on the same code base? Uh, the, the existing sim, uh, system is a, a monolith, a single process uh, with uh, yeah a lot of uh, C# code in it. But they have experienced that the teams are stepping on each other's toes, so to speak. It's difficult to work in one area of the code, uh, which was started, the code base was started in the mid uh, 2000s or something like that. Um, so it's difficult to work in one part of the system without affecting some other part of the system. So now we're trying to have many different layers, first of all, but also even when looking just at the, the front end application, angular applications there will be uh, feature libraries ui libraries and so on so that will make it easier for you to be pretty sure that you're not affecting uh, other teams the tooling from now will actually tell you what you are affecting and that will be visible in the pull request uh, we use to merge our our features wow how many applications do you estimate that uh, you're going to have in the monorepo? Uh, we will have exactly three. And you mentioned uh, library feature modules. Or is that? Uh, can you? Uh, uh, yeah, give feature us a libraries. Insight uh, I'm actually working. I'm collaborating with an upcoming uh, in-depth writer uh, called uh, Nacho Vasquez. He's from Latin America somewhere originally. Uh, maybe Colombia. I, I'm not sure I remember that correctly, but right now he lives and works in, how do you say that in English? Uruguay? Uruguay? Yeah. Okay. That's that's where he works and lives. And he's <laughs> he has been hanging around uh, the in-depth Slack workspace for, I don't know, a year or so. And he hasn't started uh, or he hasn't published his first article yet. So now I have, I have been pushing him to do it. And now within... In less than one month, we have uh, prepared an article on um, using an NX monorepo, and um, we are comparing what uh, Nawal calls, uh, what do they call them, feature shell libraries. They have this book, uh, it's called something like monorepo patterns for Angular, something like that, enterprise monorepo patterns for Angular. Uh, so they have this concept of uh, feature uh, shell libraries. Uh, Manfred Steyer from uh, Austria has a similar uh, pattern that he calls the shell libraries, also for monorepos. He's also a big proponent of NX monorepos and tooling. So we compare those two, but we, we found out that uh, they are actually not as flexible as we'd like in, in some circumstances. So we came up with a new pattern called the composite shell library. And I won't get into too much detail about what this is about, but uh, it'll be published uh, soon on uh, the new platform. 
it's uh, in depth dot dev so it's i-n-d-e-p-t-h dot d-e-v the publication is moving away from medium first of all uh, we are hosting our own website on this domain and we will be expanding beyond just angular there will be react articles there will be javascript in general and so on uh, so max koretsky the the author the original author of angular and depth is trying to make this his uh, primary day-to-day job that's the goal we will keep uh, continuing to provide free material that's actually uh, that's a strict rule for me or i will leave because that's how i got started by reading max and other writers uh, articles uh, and they were free but medium is pushing for everything to be be behind its paywall they are making it very difficult to publish uh, articles for free and okay so what so it's only a few dollars a month of membership but that might be a big deal to some people in some places in the world so by principle i don't buy that membership both because maybe not everyone can afford it so i want to suffer with them and only read the free articles and less and less free articles are being published on medium these days they use what I consider dark UX patterns to publish behind the paywall by default and try to persuade you to join the partnership or the, the membership or partner, whatever it's called, to make a few bucks. But it's at the expense of your readers who uh, either can't afford it or they have to buy it if they want to read anything on Medium <laughs> all of a sudden. So yeah. that, I, yeah, that's, I that's that... a different discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I feel that... very passionate about it. And I think the technology community is much different, you know, that we have our meetups. Um, you don't have to pay to go to a meetup. Yeah, resources that are online and uh, giving them, giving people the ability to learn new things and to kind of stay up to date with new technologies or even new ideas. So if uh, only the scam article was uh, behind a paywall, no one would know about it, right? So uh, today we can I mean, talk about it. Angle and Depth did uh, reach more than a million views per month uh, before Medium started making it difficult to publish outside of the paywall. So now we are we have pushed beyond 100,000 views per month on the new domain, even though it's only a soft launch by now. We're still preparing some some more features before doing the, the, the full full-scale public launch of the platform. To go back and ask you one additional question about uh, your mono repo. Do you find when you're speaking at conferences that uh, many developers and teams are not really taking advantage of library projects and multiple apps within the mono repo? Um, so they're just kind of using it as an application of one? So definitely it has been very common to just stuff everything in an app project, especially since that was how the Angular CLI, the Angular CLI started out. But it did uh, turn into a workspace very early on. It was just not easy to do or to use it that, that way, but uh, it did support multiple applications, first of all. You had to add in uh, ng-packager if you wanted to do like actual libraries to be published on NPM and so on. So now when we talk about libraries, they are not necessarily to be published on NPM or some package registry. Libraries are more like in, in the NX uh, methodology, uh, libraries are like encapsulating some part of the application. So 
uh, Nawal in their this book I mentioned, they describe a few kinds of libraries. Uh, trying to remember, there's a UI library, which is just a widgets module uh, with declarables. Um, there's a feature library, which you asked about. Um, feature libraries are the business libraries. So that's where you would have use case specific components. Uh, so that would be very useful to something like the clean architecture that I know you 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 like to explore and, and do some research on. So they are use case specific components. It, they can be both container components, presentational components, page components, routed components, you name it. Everything that's not very reusable, they, they will only be used in one part of the app. They will not be shared between more than one or two places. So that's the feature libraries. They contain these very use case specific uh, components. UI libraries we discussed, they are the reusable components and directives and so on. What else do we have? We have the feature shell libraries that I was trying to explain. Um, uh, in short, uh, and the article goes very much in depth about this and, and has a lot of nice examples and illustrations to to give you the, the idea and the visual overview of this. But in short, they are they are mostly about routing and configuration. Um, they are very much about routing, actually. They are routing for either for a whole application or a specific sub part of that one area of that application, call it a domain or subdomain or page, whatever. Um, so they are imported by the application projects. In an NX monorepo, we try to have very, very small application projects, like only an app module, core module, uh, an app component. That's about it. Okay. Maybe, maybe you could include, I don't know, some layout components like primary navigation and whatnot, but even those you would actually, it it would be good to extract that out into a UI library. Right. So it's more about uh, orchestration. Uh, the application yeah. basically orchestrates and pulls in these uh, feature libraries and their component libraries and whatever they need to basically compose uh, the application and provide the specific views. Exactly. Uh, and uh, maybe I could talk a bit about the differences between the variations. The feature shell library from Nawal, uh, they are actually shared between multiple applications. So how would that make sense? I mean, the same routes, the, the same routes, the same features, the same components. Well, it could be that you are doing maybe a desktop app, a web app, and a mobile app, and they have the exact same feature set. Maybe it's not that common, but that's the intention of this type of, of library. So you share the same orchestration library for all of these applications, but you publish them in different ways. You compile them for Electron for the desktop, for example, native script or Ionic for mobile and regular Angular web apps for the web or progressive web apps. So, but that's like, that's a very niche area where you would have exactly the same features in mobile and desktop and so on but it is that's what that pattern is for uh, i spoke to some of the novel guys asking about this and they said it's not very much used uh, but uh, they did include it in the book anyways so manfred steyer has he, he talks a lot about domain driven design strategic design tactical design 
he has uh, his version of the the shell libraries are actually one shell library per uh, I don't know if it's per, per subdomain per domain or bounded count context or whatever but there are definitely multiple uh, shell libraries in an application so the applications will pick whatever feature they they want to include in the, the apps by importing these uh, shell libraries which is basically not much more than a routing module right would you uh, would you think of these uh, I, I guess it's a buzzword but maybe it relates to it uh, a lot of people are talking about micro front ends so if you're kind of just strictly in the context of angular angular applications and the technology uh, platform could these be used and considered uh, as micro front ends uh, because you're basically developing them separately in these as these libraries feature teams and such and then you compose your apps one app could use one or two and then the other app could use the same two and three and four exactly that is one use case uh, Manfred Steyer has this free ebook uh, about enterprise angular DDD something like that and he describes these feature or these shell libraries and he also mentions that they can be used for exactly micro frontends. There are ways to actually create micro frontends, but you are limiting yourself to using Angular because you can combine multiple libraries into a single Angular app. So that still, in some way, it's a micro frontend because the teams can work in separate. There is an article about this actually on in depth by. Uh, Alexander Postaruk from a year ago, something like that. I have this vision of having one Angular application per micro frontend, so per feature or whatever, and combining that into the same page. It must be possible. I just haven't seen it done. Not many people are bootstrapping multiple Angular applications in the same page. But uh, the platform enables you to do so. Uh, there are a few things you have to be aware of with doing that, and I haven't. I've been focusing on other things, so I haven't been fully exploring this yet. But it's something I hope to return to at, at some point. Well, uh, Lars, this has been a very enjoyable discussion about uh, lots of different topics, but uh, things that are very influential in terms of the Angular community. Uh, we know that uh, Ivy is uh, going to make a huge difference in the way we work and the way we develop. Angular applications um, and some of those things. So is there anything uh, in, in parting words that uh, you uh, want to uh, let our audience know about and uh, maybe it's some interesting things that you're working on or will be working on in the future? Um, I would say let's do a part two and get back to ah, okay. modules and getting rid of modules because we only discussed one part of the modules. Okay, so stay tuned for an interview with Lars Brink because we're going to have part two and this one is how to get rid of modules. So that would be a pretty good discussion. So definitely we'll put that on the books. We'll schedule it. And uh, today I want to pre uh, thank you for your time. Uh, you've uh, been uh, uh, very enlightening in terms of how things work. Uh, and we certainly appreciate uh, the work that you're doing as well as uh, the in-depth team the authors there and providing all of that free content to our listeners um, that's awesome so we'll go ahead and include uh, your contact information and other uh, links uh, to your profiles uh, on the internet as well as to uh, the in-depth um, 
uh, website and such, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, we can uh, direct some traffic uh, towards indepth.dev uh, because uh, very, very important that uh, we continue the conversation about uh, all of these new things happening with Angular today. All right. Well, thank you uh, for now, Matt. I hope to see you again. You've been listening to the Angularlicious podcast, where there's no excuse to get it right the first time. Visit the Angularlicious website, that's angularlicio.us, or for you other people, angularlicious.com. Join the conversation, subscribe, access show notes, and get your bonus content on. Out.